0: Hello and welcome to the podcast for Christ Community Church in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. This is a message Tom Job gave on Sunday morning, November 27th, 2022, from Matthew chapter 5 and Luke chapter 2. Happy Advent, everyone. This is my Advent verse. This is like the. This is my verse for Advent. Okay. So, well. Okay, so it's this one. I don't think there's any more important scripture for Christmas than this one right here, for this Christmas. Okay, so, or Advent. Okay, so this is Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and sat down. And his disciples came to him, and he began to teach them." That is it. I think that's the most important. I do. I think that's the most important verse, like in all the world right now. But especially for Advent, let me read just a little bit more. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Speak to us, Lord. Help us to understand your will. I think um, we, just help us, help me not make a mess of this as we begin a sweet, sweet season. May it be more than sweet. May it be, I just, may we be closer to you at the end of it, at the end of this Advent season. And anyway, do something in us that will look back and remember this time in your precious name amen okay so i was reading this thing it was about you know because i'm kind of getting ready for advent and i read this list of the 40 most popular christmas songs of like the last 30 years and there was one super interesting thing is that the like there's one called Sleigh Ride that's in the list. Just hear those sleigh bells ringling ding ding ding. Johnny Mathis did it, and um, Winter Wonderland. And the most popular on lots of lists is Jingle Bells. And one thing they have in common is they don't talk about Christmas in any way. Like they, um, like that the sleigh ride, there's a birthday party at the home of Farmer Gray. So there's a birthday, it's about a birthday party. It doesn't say it was Jesus's birthday party. So the Winter Wonderland, so, it, it, they, so this guy said, in the meadow, we will build a snowman and pretend that he is Parson Brown, was like Pastor Brown, a snowman. And he'll say, "Are you married?" And we'll say, "No, man." And then he will do the job while we're in town. And then later on, they're snuggled up in this cabin. So I'm thinking, okay. So you build a snowman, and you name him Pastor Frosty Brown. And probably pulled out his phone, got that online ordination thing. You know, you can get it for forty dollars. You're just shacking up at that point. If you ask my humble opinions, that's all that is about. But um, jingle bells. So this guy wrote it. He was a, a Minister, it was really for Thanksgiving in Medford, Massachusetts, in 1840, um, and he got his choir to sing it, and it became super popular. It's not about Thanksgiving in any way. It's not about Christmas. I, I used to think that it talked about Bob the Christmas horse, you know, because it talks about bells on Bob's tail ring, and then um, <laughs> that's not, bells on Bob tail is what it says. Okay, so there's a, a verse in it that says just. Um, just bet on the, on the bobtail bay, 2 and 40 for his speed. Hitch up your open sleigh, and crack, you'll take the lead. It's about sports betting. Like It's not, it's not about Christmas, like, at, at all. It just struck me as, like, so super weird. And so also, um, so, the, so do you know what? Probably up at the very top is "Joy to the World," and "Joy to the World" is not about Christmas at all. It was written in like 17, I think, like 1770. This guy Isaac Watts who wrote like loads and loads of hymns. And he started writing hymns that people could sing, you know, because their their music was kind of old and stuffy and stuff, and and he wanted some like popular music. But um, and there was a girl who wrote him and said, "I'm your biggest fan. I like love your music." And would you marry me? And he said, sure, come over and meet me. So she went to meet him. He was about five feet tall. And he was just this little skinny guy. And she just felt like his, you know, he had a, his nose. Do y'all remember Jimmy Durante? Like he had a nose like that. And they, and she said he looked like death warmed over. Her. And so she said, no, I can't do this. And he was just broken hearted. And so he just started thinking about, like when Jesus comes back and rules this world. So Psalm 98 is the psalm that he was reading when he wrote Joy to the World. And it's about when Jesus comes back again, you know, because like the scriptures promise us that Jesus is going to come back again to our world. And he's going to make it into the world that it was always supposed to be a world of love and dignity and grace for those who want to be in it. And the world that it was always supposed to be but never has been. I mean, because it says, "Let, um, let every heart prepare him room so that's that's not what happened like the first time Jesus came like there was almost nobody that had any room for him like Jesus was born in a barn well not necessarily in a barn but they had to lay lay him in like a cow feeding trough okay so some scholars say it doesn't really say that Jesus was born in a barn like it might not have been that bad um if you you know you know how biblical scholars sometimes they say, if you knew what I knew, about ancient Middle Eastern culture and architecture. So like their houses, they had a big floor. Lower floor was where people ate and cooked and and kind of their living room. The upper floor was where they slept at night. And the word in is the same word that's used of the upper room, where Jesus and his disciples had their Passover, which they're talking about that room, where people slept normally. And then there was a garage where they would bring in the animals at night. So it wasn't that there was no It's just that they got there late and so they had to sleep in the garage with the animals but I'm like I mean that's worse like if you I mean your family you're gonna have a baby but they you know they basically thought okay you're engaged and now you're super pregnant did Pastor Frosty Brown do your wedding you know like so um so it says in Psalm 98 and it says in Isaiah like four times that when Jesus comes back again to take over this world, the trees are going to start singing and the forests are going to start singing and the mountains are going to start singing. And Isaiah 98 says the sea and the world and the heavens are going to become like this cosmic choir resounding in praises to to the king. And when Jesus came the first time, I mean the only real contribution I think that the heavens made were maybe a quiet conjunction of two planets in a certain constellation that signaled to Iranian astrologers that the Messiah had been born and so they followed it to him. I mean if that's what the if that's what the star of Bethlehem was, I mean that Those planets and stars were set in motion on their course on the fourth day that the world was created. So I mean, basically, okay. so but when Jesus comes back to take over this world and make it into a world of love and a world of dignity and a world of grace. It's going to be the world it was always supposed to be but never has been because like the basic picture that the scriptures give us is that God out of his love and goodness like he made humanity just to love us and people never really wanted that like we like not never really they didn't like human beings just like almost from the very beginnings that we don't want that we don't want like you to be the king over us like you know it's oppressive I mean when you think about why did God a God of love and goodness. Like, why did he make human beings? It was, just, it was just love, you know? It says in Genesis chapter 1 that God, when he made the first human beings, he put them, like, in a garden. And they're like, okay, right there. I mean, what, we can't go out of the garden? I mean, it feels, like, restrictive. But uh, scholars tell us that the, what is called the Garden of Eden was probably as big as the Great Smoky Mountains National Park. So, And it says in Genesis chapter 1 that he put the human beings in there to work it and to keep it. And they're like, okay, so that's not awesome, like that God created human beings to be like his little elves and to do his work and all that stuff. But actually, scholars tell us that in Hebrew, in Genesis chapter 1, in the, I guess, they would be in those two infinitive phrases to work it and to keep it. The word it is not in there in either place for working and keeping. And the word working is a word that's used often in the Old Testament of what priests did in the tabernacle and in the temple. And it has to do with worship. And the word keeping is a word that's used to like keeping God's commandments. So basically, God created us just to worship Him and to obey Him. And you're like, well, to obey what? I mean, like when you read the Old Testament, they've counted that there are six. 113 things you're supposed to either do or not do i mean like who can remember all that but there's a couple of times when it's reduced to 10 and one time in luke chapter 10 somebody asked jesus okay so what are the most important of all these commandments what are the most important okay there's you can boil it all down to two this is what god wants for you. he wants you to love him that's it he wants you to love him with your, all of your mind and with all of your heart. And he gave you, like, an amazing mind to do it with, like your brain. Your brain has 90 billion neurons in it that send messages across your brain and through your body at 268 miles an hour. Your brain can do, per second, do you know how many operations and calculations? 10. Per second, 10 comma zero zero zero, comma zero zero zero, comma zero zero zero, comma zero 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 comma zero 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 comma zero 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 exclamation point. 10 to the 18th power. I mean like, and just you have this like massive brain that's so incredible, and all he wanted you to do was to love him with it. And love them with your heart, like your heart. Today, your heart, without needing rest or lubrication, is going to beat 115,000 times today and send 2,000 gallons of blood through your 60,000 miles of blood vessels. And in the coming year, it's going to be 43 million times. And in a normal lifetime, 3.4 billion times. Like your heart is amazing. And all he wanted you to do was love him. It's all he wanted us to do. There's a place, I was reading the other morning in Deuteronomy chapter 11, where he says, This is what the Lord your God wants. He wants you to love him with all your mind, with all of your heart, with all of your strength. And he said, That's the only thing. Don't forget it. Like, write it on your hand. Love God. Okay, love God today. Okay, I can't forget that. On your forehead. I mean, you couldn't really read it, but if everybody did, you could read theirs. It, like, don't forget to love God today. Write it on your door. Remember when you get up. Remember when you go to bed. Remember when you're at work. Remember when you're walking. Talk to your kids about it. We need to remember to love God. OK, so we forgot it, like the one thing. And nobody. And so you think, well, how are you supposed to love God? And well, basically, it's by, so the way you love God is by loving people. like. The, Jonathan Edwards said that God has left people, particularly poor people, um, to be receivers. Like, the, they're the receivers of the gift of your love, of your love for God. If you love them, it's loving him, you know? So you can't really give your gift to him. Like you could when, like when Jesus came the first time, and everybody, the wise men came and brought their gifts. And the little drummer boy came. And I, I just don't think it should be on any list. It says the word pum 38 times. like. And he comes in there. I don't have anything to bring. Shall I play my drum? And Mary's like, no, no. get that drum. Heck no. I just got his baby to sleep. You're going to play a drum. How? What do I do with my gift? I do not care. But, uh, but that, so Jonathan Edwards said, so there are certain Christian traditions that believe that, like when you take communion, that when you take communion, it's sacramental in the sense that the bread and the juice and the wine, that Jesus is actually present in them so that when you take them in, you're taking him in. And Jonathan Edwards said, I believe that about the disfavored, like I believe that about poor people, that they're sacramental, because Jesus said, when you feed hungry people, you're feeding me. When you visit people in prison, you're visiting me. When you welcome immigrants, you're welcoming um, you're welcoming me. Or if you don't, you're not welcoming me. So that's all, that's all we were supposed to do, was to love God, And love him by loving people, loving the disfavored. And uh, we haven't done it. Uh, This year, 3.4 million people will die this year because they don't have clean water. 889,000 children under the age of five in our world will die of diarrhea alone because they don't have clean water. So one in four people in the world does not have clean water. In order, one in four people in the world does not have access to a toilet. It would take $150 billion a year for everybody in the world to have clean water. And you think, okay, that's why it doesn't happen. It's just too much. Even though we spend $84 billion in our country on golf, $100 billion on beer, and $100 billion on sports betting on the NFL alone, it's just because people don't care enough. It's because we don't care, like it's because human beings haven't done, they forgot to love God and love Jesus. And so that's the world, and that's why it is the way it is. But the New Testament, like the Old Testament, in so many places promised that a king is coming, and he's going to take over the world. And he's going to make it into the place that it was always supposed to be, a world of, of love and a world of where dignity, where everybody in this kingdom is valued, and a world of, of just grace, where he just takes care of us. You know what I mean? And so something happened in um, when you open the gospels, like all of them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there's kind of this person. Who's in? He's at the beginning of all of them, and it seems a little bit weird and a little bit strange, because he was a little <laughs> bit weird and strange, but his name was John, and he lived out in the uninhabited countryside, and he dressed weird and ate weird food, but... He was a prophet, which they had a history of prophets, but they hadn't had one in 400 years. Like it's like if, it's like not having something since 1622, and all of a sudden there was one, and he started, and he was saying the kingdom is about to get here. Like the kingdom of the of the Messiah's kingdom of the world is about to come and take over this world, and as a matter of fact, the king is already here. Well, you, when I mean, he might have seemed a little bit weird to us, but thousands and thousands and thousands of people went out there because they were basically saying, I'm not ready for this. I'm not, I'm not ready. We're not ready. Can we have a little bit more time? I mean, I'm not ready for the king to come. I mean, I've ignored him like the whole time. You get the feeling that it was almost a national panic attack. Like it was like, it was like thousands of people who were like Ebenezer Scrooge, you know, when the ghost of Christmas Yet to come. And it's like, tell me, tell me that I can sponge away the writing on this stone by an altered life. Like, give me a minute. I'm not ready for the king to come. You know what I mean? So he, like he, he, there was kind of a little ceremony. It didn't, of being, like dunked in water it didn't really it didn't really it didn't wash their failures away or anything but it was just a way of resetting and saying, okay I want to focus now on this thing but it turned out to be okay because it wasn't what they had pictured the king had come the messiah had come but he primarily came to pay for the fact that we've forgotten him like the whole time that we forgot to love and that we forgot to love God and we forgot to love everyone. When Jesus was born, he was born quietly. In the first three, 30 years of his life, he basically lived under the radar. He had no real online presence at all. And, uh, but he primarily came when he walked on our earth, to, with his life, be everything that we haven't been and should have been. And then, this was, I think, it was predicted but unforeseen, that with his death, to pay for everything that we haven't done and we should have done so that whoever wants to could be forgiven of everything they've ever done, do, or will do. Have a brand, brand, brand new start. There was a day when Jesus really, really did um, offer himself and let people know that he was coming into Jerusalem as the promised Messiah. That there was no mystery about it. It was a week. It was the Sunday before he was arrested on that Thursday night. But if he had taken over the world then and opened his kingdom, there wouldn't have been anybody who could have gone into it, because we were all disqualified. And so he paid for us, rose from the dead, went back up into heaven, and has offered people something that nobody really saw coming, an opportunity that, that has lasted for two thousand years for all disqualified who want to have it, to be forgiven of everything they've ever done or ever will do, and bow before the king, and basically give themselves over to him before he comes and takes over like just kind of give up before he comes back and takes it all down you know an opportunity to surrender to Jesus the king before he comes and conquers everyone so there's a so that's what we're in it's the opportunity for people to enter into the kingdom of God so in Isaiah chapter 9 You know, there's that Christmas verse that says, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, his name will be called the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the father of eternity, the prince of peace, and of the increase of his government, there will be no end. So when Jesus came, like the first time, did he, did he open the kingdom or not? Like, did he inaugurate the kingdom or not? Did he bring the kingdom or not? And in a certain sense, I think you'd have to say, no, he didn't, because I mean, unless you hear trees singing that I don't hear, I think it's getting worse out there. You know what I mean? Like, so I would say in a certain sense, he didn't. But in a certain sense, he did, because like some scholars say, if you take the word kingdom, like the kingdom of God, another word you can use to translate that word is the word rain, So like kingdom, when you think of kingdom, you kind of think of geographical thing. But like the reign of God, that's a more personal thing. So when Jesus died and rose again, he opened an invisible kingdom. It's like a parallel universe. It's a parallel kingdom that runs parallel to all the visible kingdoms of this world. One day, it's going to be the visible kingdom and the only kingdom. One day, the kingdom of God is going to be a place on earth. But since Jesus rose from the dead, it's been a place in the heart. And when a person trusts in Jesus and asks him for a new start and a new heart, they enter into the kingdom of God. People all of the multinational, multi-ethnic, multi- generational kingdom, kingdom of God. Like the, I, guess it, I guess it officially opened. Um, maybe you could make the point seven weeks after Jesus rose from the dead when, when Peter preached the message of Jesus and his kingdom and his opening of the kingdom to thousands of people. And 3,000 people entered into the kingdom of God that day, the invisible kingdom in the heart. Um, Today, that many people around the world trust in Jesus and enter in his kingdom every hour, 24 hours a day. Not so much where we live, but in Latin America, in South America, and in Africa, in China, and in Southeast Asia. People are pouring into, into the kingdom of God. And so it's just kind of like, how do you get into it? How do you? That's the best part. Like, that's the best news, is like, how do you get into the kingdom of God? OK, so if a person wanted to, I wish I could be forgiven of all the, the fact that I've forgotten to love God and for, love people, you know, and I've been a complete and total mess. I wish I could be completely forgiven of that. OK, you can be. And when, when, when I do that, I want to surrender to Jesus like I want to be in his kingdom like I want Him to be my king I know it's going to be like a massive learning curve learning how to do this which that's why like the people who entered into his kingdom in the New Testament they're called disciples which means students 264 the word Christian is used three times in the New Testament but the word disciple 264 times it means okay I'm just learning but I want to learn I want to learn how Jesus can be my king you know so um, well that's all free admission into the kingdom is free admission a place in the king's family is free a home in the king's kingdom is absolutely free it's a gift in order to have a gift all you have to do is take it like right like you don't you just have to take it but before you take it there are two things that have to happen one is you have to want it You, you know what i mean like I could offer you something, and you don't really want it, but you have to want it. You have to want to be forgiven of everything you've ever done, do, or will do. And you have to want him to be your king. So you have to want it. And before you want it, you have to see it. Like, I think that you have to see it in somebody who has done it. That's why, in my humble opinion, the most important Scripture of Advent 2022 is Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. So, Matthew chapter 5, like most of it, you know, is the Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 is basically the constitution of the king of the invisible kingdom. Like those people who believe in Jesus, like this is the will of Jesus. This is the way we should live. Like this is what he wants from us. Like if I want Jesus to be my king, I need to study it and learn it and know this. Like it's a kingdom of love. Okay, love, your, love everybody, love your enemies, love my enemies, love your enemies. Um, it's a kingdom of dignity. Don't look at people in sexual ways. Like don't look at people with sexual thoughts. I'm the king, this is what I'm telling you. It's like, because, That's not a consumer good. That is a human being. That's a human being with infinite value. Don't look at people that way. Um, It's a kingdom of grace. Don't judge anybody. I want my people to be different in this world. Don't judge anybody because you weren't judged. It's a kingdom of grace. Don't talk about them. Don't judge them. Don't do it. I think that for followers of Jesus, for people who are in the kingdom of God today, the most important thing that we could possibly do is to devote our, devote our heart and mind and everything we have to knowing the constitution of my king in Matthew chapter five, six and seven, devoting myself to them and living them. For three reasons. One, as soon as you accept Jesus as your savior, a process is set in place according to Romans chapter 8, 28 and 29, that God is going to make you like Jesus. So you're going, this is where this is going, by the way, you can either fight it or give into it. You know what I mean? Number two, he's my king. Jesus is my king. He gave his life for me. I love him. I would do whatever he says. Like I would do whatever he says. You know what I mean? I'm like a puppy that I was right at the end of that thing before I went to the, and a mom brought a 10 year old boy into the dog pound and he looked in my cage and our eyes met and we fell in love. And he took me home and all I do is wag my tail and I will do anything you say, like whatever you, you have given me a home, I will do anything you say. So he sees I'm getting a little bit chubby because I'm eating more than I did in the dog panel. So He said, take this stick, I'm gonna throw it, go get it, bring it back. So you go get the stick and bring it back. He's like, okay, and he threw it again. I'm gonna get it and I'm gonna bring it back. He throws it another time and you're just like, I don't really know if he wants this sticker doesn't want it but I'm just gonna do it I just love I just love him he's given me a life I'm gonna I'm gonna do it so Jesus said if anybody hits you on one cheek turn to him the other it doesn't make sense to me it doesn't matter just do it I was reading a survey that said 56 7% of American evangelicals believe that that well I won't it, it just basically said that in order to defend myself It's legitimate for me to take certain measures to defend myself. 57% of evangelicals believe that. But only 11% believe that Jesus would agree with that. And I'm like, what? So like 57% believe that this is the Christian position but on, but almost nobody believes that Jesus would agree with that Christian position and I'm like okay it is officially not one then like if Jesus doesn't agree with it it's not the Christian position so but but anyway I would just like do whatever he says you know because um because people are waiting to see to to know someone who is different like If it's a kingdom of love, I need to know someone who has learned how to love. If it's a kingdom of dignity, I need to meet people who believe in this king and treat everybody with dignity. Like, don't treat people as if they were something that you could use, just with dignity. If it's a kingdom of grace, I need to meet people that believe in that, that believe in their king, that do what the king says. And they don't judge people, and they don't talk about them behind their back, because grace has been showed to them. And they believe in the king of the kingdom. Like, I, I, I think the world is waiting for us to walk with our king, you know, and to live the life of the kingdom that we belong to. And you know what? I, OK, so I'm basically done. but so. I th- but you know what I think is like one of the most important things, like the most important things that subjects of the King of Kings that they should have in their is joy. Like to, like people are waiting for somebody. People who are different. People who know how to love. People who know how to treat people with dignity. People who love their king, and people who are happy about it. Like happy to be in the kingdom. So like you know. People are looking for joyful people, somebody that's found something that they don't have. Like, I think I told you guys before, but nobody's going to come up to somebody and say, you are so grumpy. Like, you're the meanest person I know. What is your secret? I just wish I had more of that. Like, you're, it's so cool how grumpy you are, you know what I mean? So but in, in the, at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, he talks about, he said, blessed, blessed. It's a word that means happy. It's so basically a word that means happy. The way it's used in the Old Testament and translating the Old Testament from Hebrew into Greek is it's, a, it's basically a word that means the joy of the kingdom, like people that have a happiness that belongs to people who belong to the kingdom. Like, I'm in this kingdom, and it, it's made me so happy. And it's funny how he says, he talks about people, blessed are the poor, blessed are the pained, blessed are the humiliated, and blessed are the hungry. And people who um, have, have gone through those. So those are kind of the painful steps that a lot of most people take to step into the kingdom. But they found joy there. Um, that's what I want to talk about during Advent, is people who were in that, when Jesus came the first time, someone who was poor, someone who was pained, someone who was humiliated, and someone who was hungry. And the joy they found in finding the king. And one thing that all four of them had in common is they were people who talked to other people about the king who had come, and they were listened to because they were happy. What if during this Advent season, I gave my heart in ways that I never, ever have to being nothing more than a good and faithful subject of my king and a devoted citizen of his kingdom, and showing the love, and showing the dignity, and showing the grace, and knowing and showing the joy that comes of it. You know, one of my favorite people is, so I was gonna do this in like 23 minutes and I didn't, but during Advent, I promise I'm going to. Well, I promise. I'm I'm gonna try to, because I talk too long. I just couldn't listen to somebody talk as long as I do. But I just wanted to, so there was a girl, there was a girl. A woman that I've always, I've always loved her stuff, and she's just always been a teacher for me. Her name was Johnny Erickson Todd. She was a woman. She's about seventy-three now, but when she was seventeen, when she was sixteen, she went to a young life camp in 1967, and she accepted Jesus. And then in that summer, uh, she dove into the Chesapeake Bay. She lived in Baltimore with her. Sweet family. She drove into the Chesapeake Bay, and there was a pier that was under the water. And she hit it, and she became a quadriplegic. And, um, and she has spent all these years in a wheelchair. But she's she learned to paint with her mouth. She's unbelievable. She's written 40 books. She's been on presidential councils and the National Young Life Committee for Capernaum Young Life. And um, she's just brilliant. But um, so that happened the summer of 67. The summer of 60, the Christmas of 68, they, um, she was just struggling. I'm always going to be this. I'm always going to be a person of special needs. I'm never going to be a normal kid again, and never a normal person again. But she went to, but she was fighting, fighting for her faith, and she had sweet, sweet friends. And she said, um, on the week before Christmas, her friends came and got her. And they decided to go to the Pennsylvania train station in downtown Baltimore. And they were going to Penn, Penn Station, the railroad station, because they said about 930 at night, the acoustics are going to be awesome. And we're going to sing Christmas carols and we're going to bounce them off the ceiling. It's going to be amazing. So they loaded her up in her car and they took her down there and they went down to the train station. There weren't many people there and they just started singing Christmas carols as loud as they could. And it was just like they said, they echoed all over the place. It was super loud, super fun. She had so much fun. And then a security guard said, Hey, you kids get out of here. This ain't no church. He said, stop singing in here. This isn't a place for singing. You, you need to, you kids get out of there. And you young lady, Put that wheelchair back where you got it. And she said, no, no, it's mine. He said, I'm telling you, put it back where you got it. And she said, no, you don't understand. And she said, you don't understand. He said, don't sass me, Missy. You put that back where you got it. And she said, no, sir, this is my wheelchair. I'm paralyzed. He said, oh, well, whatever. Y'all get out of here. Y'all need to get out of here. And she said, it was such a, such a gift. Such a gift to, um, to think that for one night on Christmas, somebody thought of her as a normal kid. And I thought about a security guard going home thinking, a young 17-year-old girl, a quadriplegic in a wheelchair, who has more joy than I do. Mm. I'm going to think about that. Lord Jesus, you are our King. We confess you as our king. Help us to grow in this more than any other thing, more than we grow in anything, more than we devote ourselves to anything, more than we care about anything. May we give ourselves to your will, to your words, to your kingship, your majesty. In your precious name, amen. Amen. Good morning and welcome to church. We are going to sing a song that everybody sings at Christmas. It's actually not a Christmas song. It was written as part of um, a, a part of a verse from Revelation, when the world is actually going to belong to Jesus. It hasn't happened yet. We believe it's going to happen. We know it's going to happen, but we all sing the song at Christmas. So here we go. We're going to sing this together. Won't you stand and clap and sing with us? Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive a key. Let every heart prepare Him bloom. And heaven and nature sing. And heaven and nature sing. And heaven, and heaven and nature sing. and heaven and heaven and nature sing. Joy to the earth, the Savior Let men their song implore While fields and floods, rocks, hills and plains Repeat the sounding joy, repeat the sounding joy Repeat, repeat the sounding joy He rules the world with truth and praise And makes the name of his righteousness and wonders of his love and wonders of his love and wonders wonders of his love and wonders of his love and wonders of his love and